0: You're
1: listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, Accept no substitute. Well, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the real Millwall fan show. Accept no substitute, dear listeners. There are others out there purporting to be the number one Millwall fan show, but you are listening to the authentic, real McCoy. With me on today's, this afternoon's show. Um, It's not Aaron Paul. Um, We're going to think they're sending out a mystery, all persons mystery location alert for Aaron. We've been trying to reach him all day. Um, We think he may be in the Luton area, possibly on Radio 5 Business. But anyway, um, I'm sure he's safe and well. But for the moment, you're stuck with me, Nick Hart, and my co-hosts for the afternoon which is mr ryan loftus welcome to the show ryan
2: good afternoon all um i would like to send out a plea for aaron just uh just get in touch buddy we're all worried about you and uh i mean if he hasn't gone to Luton, then i know that can be a lot for some people to take in so uh hopefully we hear
1: from him soon but no it's good to be on and a big, big welcome to Michael Avery stepping into, uh, we, had a, we do have a rotor for these shows, listeners, but anyway, it's all gone out the window today. But Michael Avery stepped into the breach. Big thank you to Michael. Welcome to the show, Michael.
3: Good afternoon, all. Um, I believe Aaron is in, uh, actually, uh, rumour has it, deep, deep discussions with uh, Husky Chocolate <laughs> on the sponsorship deal.
1: Do, do, do you think they've bought him? Do you think? They, do you think he's, he's sold out his, his, his podcast friends and gone for the the husky? Um, what is it the Swedish? The husky krona?
3: Yeah. Well, I'm 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 picturing the, the classic reservoir dogs where they're tra- where he's tied to the chair, and instead of chopping off his ear, <laughs> he's like throwing husky chocolate all over him to stop him tweeting them every five <laughs> minutes or something like that.
1: Um, Ryan and I, because it was originally going to be your Aaron sharing it, and then Ryan and myself as um, as guests, and we've gone through the seven stages of grief trying to find Aaron today. But anyway, we have finished up with we've given up now. We've given up all hope. Um, in the end, And we're going to do the show without him. But he'll be back. Aaron Paul will be back next week. Radio 5's Aaron Paul. He's probably at Luton tonight and is deep in script conversations and you know things of, of, of a show business nature beyond our uh, our ken. Um, chaps, 8,882 um, 8, 8, days since Charlton Athletic last beat Millwall. We've already reviewed the game on Friday night, but I do love that statistic, don't you? I think it's just um, just twelve victories ever, ever of the for the, uh, the addicts over the Lions. It's the weirdest thing. I think it's one of the weirdest statistics in 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 world and international certainly domestic football
3: well we've yeah. certainly um we've we've, cert- we've certainly got a hoodoo over and that's that, that's for sure i mean um I'm, I'm slightly older than ryan and when i see these sort of young millennials saying, oh they've still not beaten us in in my lifetime it makes me feel older <laughs> and older when i see that but um but I I, ble- I I remember being in the cold blow lane end when they when they beat us that day um
0: yeah.
3: and back in the back in the mid 90s and um I just, I just remember. I vividly remember us not playing very well, and then the, uh, then the away, the away stands cheering quite an awful lot. But um, little did I know that at nearly thirty-four years of age, married with two children, that'd be the last time that I'd see us, uh, us beat Charlton. But it's, it, it's, I mean, I mean, Ryan's just sent me over something that's going to be put in the match day programme, and it, and it's if you don't mind me quoting Ryan, of course. Um, but it. It's such an interesting in wording. Um, the rivalry with Charlton is an odd one, an almost one-sided obsession. Think England and Germany, Piers Morgan and Meghan Markle. Now, I'm not sure which <laughs> one I would rather be. <laughs>
2: well, well the, written, point, Ryan. the point with that, Michael, is just that one side really doesn't give a shit. And for one side, it means a lot. I think for, for the Charlton rivalry, I think was kind of what I wanted to get to. At That was just that, it's one, and I think you were saying this, Nick, on the on the post-match show, that it's it doesn't really feel like a massive rivalry for Millwall. Like you know, you grow up and it's it's West Ham, maybe Chelsea before as well, even though we haven't played them a lot. Now you've got Leeds, even Palace would come before Charlton, but as um you know, they should be because of the the close nature of them that they are to Mill. It's very easy to get to. But it does feel like they care a lot more about it than us, which I think makes the record all that more, much more sweeter. Um, yeah, and I just thought the, uh, the you know, the, the vision of Piers Morgan ranting for the a thousandth time about Meghan Markle, where she probably doesn't really know who he is. I think that was a nice little
1: uh,
0: analogy,
2: I think, between the Millwall and Shelton relationship.
1: I'm going to ask you a personal question Ryan um were you born before or after the last Charlton victory over Millwall have, have you lived your whole life never knowing um, um Charlton, I am Charl- a
2: Charlton victory virgin I uh, have <laughs> you've never, never known it and I hope that I never will <laughs> I think the last time they beat us was it was in 1996 the year I was born but I think slightly before um okay so it was planned well so uh yeah, long may it continue. I think I think we have glossed over the thirteen year gap of actually playing them, but you know it all counts. It all counts.
1: That gap is always thrown back at you by these blokes that do these odd odd bod YouTube videos where they they video themselves watching the television. And I, I really don't. I know I'm you know not of the the modern generation, but I really don't get why you'd watch free blokes, free free Charlton. Bullies watching the television, commenting on the game. You know when you've seen the game yourself, and you can hopefully form your own opinions. But that was quote the Premier see, League so, just, years, Michael. Wattis, don't they? They, they were in yeah, the Premier so, League.
3: So, sorry to <laughs> sorry to cut you off. Just just quickly, it's like an acne version of goggle box, isn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, not, that's not that's not that's not acne the place name either, is it? It's it's the skin condition. <laughs>
2: I think that is a very correct way to put it but that's the thing even with that gap it's 12 games now um in a row in which they haven't beaten us I'm just looking one two three four five six draws six wins so you know that's it's that's a good record that we have against Charlton and you know they're all in the league so it's home and away so there doesn't seem to be any stopping us when it comes to Charlton and you know it's good to see them restrained I know the YouTube video that went around after the home win of the uh the lad crying. We, we simply can't beat them. And just uh, Lee Bowyer's post-match interview, it's yeah, those sort of sweet it. things that Millwall fans love to be hated and they love uh, clubs hate in losing to us. And it just makes it all the better.
1: I, 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 I don't believe in any kind of almighty deity, but if there is one, and I, I certainly don't think he's a Millwall fan, judging by our history, <laughs> historical record, he's certainly not a Millwall supporter. <laughs> but if there is one, and, in, and he lurks out there in the, in the depths of the universe, he's got it in for Cholton for some reason. Because they, 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 they've actually, on occasions, not played badly. I didn't think they, they they had their little moments on Friday night. They had some shots that Bart had to be quite smart about to, to push around the post and get a, get a, you know a hand or a fist on... To, to stop it so they, they had moments and in previous games they've actually had you know they've come close um, but for some reason some 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 kind of mystical presence <laughs> stops the ball from going or it goes in off someone's backside in the net I mean it's just really weird it's it's a very mm. odd local derby rivalry um, I speaking after the game, um, you know, Gary Rowe was was talking about he knows what the these games mean. I think that's that's essential in a manager. One of the things I like about Gary Rowe is that he our season may be drifting on to a kind of a mid table conclusion now, but he understands the importance of climbing up over the top of Charlton, doesn't he? You you know, you need to be able to take something out of the season that's normally to be, you know, one one up on your local rivals.
2: Yeah, I thought he um it was really good after. He he spoke about the the record and how a lot of the club's directors and board members will remind him of it as much as the fans do. So, you know, it's always good. Everyone wants local bragging rights. And, uh, you know, with Palace and West Ham, or hopefully West Ham will be down with us next year, but with us not playing them so often, you have to take the graces that you can get. So he knows, and I think it shows kind of how he's bought into Millwall, but also it shows that one level of detachment where he also said that, you know, as much as we wanted to win it, for the, as much we didn't want to lose it for the, the record, we wanted to win it as a show of intent and in terms of the wider context of the league, you know, rather than hanging all his hopes on, oh, we'll get a derby, win and lift the spirits, he's looking at the bigger picture. And I think sometimes that um, that kind of one level of detachment can be really positive in terms of Gary Rowett keeping a calm head and uh, just being level-headed where others may be losing it. And, um, you know, the fact that he still cares and still has that, you know that professional kind of integrity and that the knowledge of what the fan base want is, is a really nice blend, and I think he does it really
1: well.
3: Sorry, no, no, I was gonna say, I, was gonna say, I think I, think I agree with that there entirely because, um, I can't remember who the chap was on who was after the Charlton game, Nick, with, with you after the uh, Dave Brian's discussion, uh, yeah, Dave. And I, Dave I think Collins, Dave yeah. said it as well when he said that, um, you know, under Neil Harris, we'd have been quite happy just being sort of like 21st of being safe, and it got me thinking that, you know, that with under some managers, and I'm not even going to say Neil Harris specifically, it yeah, could be under a, a number of different managers um, in different divisions, but a lot would think, well, you know, the playoffs are just out of touch and reach. Um, it's going to be a bit to claw back. If we go away from go away from home, get a 0-0 or 1-0 with Chilton, that'll be job done and we'll just settle for 12 13th place. But he's, he does seem to sort of like want to go down fighting a bit, Gary Rowey. And what was refreshing to see was that we didn't go to Chilton, as you say, uh Brian with the ambition of just not to lose, but we actually looked like we wanted to win the game as well. It wasn't a lucky goal. It wasn't a lucky build-up. It was. It was good match play. It was. It was intent to get three points. And, well, do you know what? If we can't go up via the playoffs, or, or if we can't get in the playoffs, we're going to do, do do um do as best as we can to get as close as we can. And it's good to see. Definitely. It
1: is. I mean, I think the other thing. I'm mean, just reading some of the uh, notes that we put together for the show. I mean, mentioning on the news of then Billy Mitchell's role on on Friday night. I mean. it it, we are still trying to chase down the, the sixth spot. I think it may be receding from us being realistic because results over the weekend weren't especially kind to us, Cardiff, I think, getting that late. Um was it an equalizer or did they win it on uh on, on, on Sunday? I think they won it, didn't they? Winner again. Yeah. Um that kind of pushed them probably a little bit too far. But it's 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 interesting to see that he is, you know, using these these games as an opportunity to have a look at players in, in the squad. And Billy Mitchell, I thought, came over really well on, on Friday night and will be almost certainly a, a player we see more of in the future. Um, injuries, though, Ryan, I think, are starting to, uh, to tell on us a little bit, aren't they? I, mean, I think, did you say before the start of today, uh, the call that Mason's out uh, or doubtful for tomorrow's game? Tomorrow's yeah, game? It, looks,
2: it looks like it is going to be a problem. And I think it is, um, it's one of those things that, with the size of the middle squad and uh, the intensity of the games, it was always going to be a concern. But yeah, it looks like, I think News of Den was reporting that Mason Bennett is out for Wednesday. I think he's got a tear in his abdominal muscle and it looks like he's going to be very, after after this Friday game, um, Raul said that it looked like Mason would be back. But obviously now it looks like he'll be out for it and maybe not getting back until Hull on Saturday and maybe not even making that game. So injuries are something that's always plagued um, Mason Bennett and it looks like he picked it when the defender kind of put a knee in his back on um, against Swansea. So it's not even a, a muscle strain from sprinting or lack of fitness or anything. It's one of those impact injuries that we've had a few of those. I think Ryan Leonard's long-term injury and Ben Thompson's long-term injury this year. have They've all been impact injury. We're, we're getting a few kind of muscle injuries and training ones with uh, maybe some of the older players like Williams and Hutchinson. But at the moment, it's just those impact ones that could cost us that little bit of momentum. I think we we, we missed Mason Bennett on Friday. Um, We showed that we can do it without him, obviously. Um, But with Bodvarsson out as well, it's just just those attacking numbers kind of dwindling. uh, And that's an area of the pitch that we will... Well, you could say we can't afford to lose attackers, but then given that's been probably our weakest side of our team, maybe we're not missing too much, you know? So um, it'll be interesting to see. It's a good test for our at least, to see faith in youngsters or different plans. Like I thought the Charlton game, you know, he, he tried something different with a slightly different formation and I thought it worked really well for long periods of the game. So the fact that it's forcing them to think and forcing them to try things, um, that could bring in positives, you
1: know. I mean for the players, the squad have swung from from one extreme to the other, Michael. I mean you're you're you are um you know a, a runner yourself, aren't you? So you know the the importance of staying um you know of, of keeping yourself sharp and and, and informed and to have a 14 week enforced break for the players. It and then lurch into this highly intensive period that's um is a very odd you know feeling for us all it must be odd for the players too it must it must take its toll on on on, on athletes
3: no but do you know what funny funny thing you say that and um you mentioned about running as well being slightly off topic all what's all what's going on at the moment you know with with coronavirus and these things being cancelled and things like that I'm, I'm part of a lot of group chats and forums with with runners and a lot a lot of people uh are, are spot on you know we like if if you are someone who who even recreation these sort of runs and enters these things, um, you've got to keep sort of as fit as you can because at, at the moment you know we, a lot of my friends who do it and bear in mind we've been doing it for weeks and weeks and years and years, um, we've sort of like tapered down our running because we're a bit like well we'll just keep ticking over and you know if if none of our races cancel exactly we'll, we'll start doing them but even now and this is I mean last year I've done like four or five marathons half a dozen half marathons but even now I'm struggling to get sort of fit fit and I'm noticing it's taken me a little while to get back up to the level that I'm, I'm I'm used to don't get me wrong it's nowhere near elite or anything like that but as you say Nick you know if if you're if you're an elite athlete and you just do the bare minimum at home with no real structure just enough to keep you ticking over and then you're going to this type of Um, environment where you have to be right your physical uh, peak physical condition yeah no totally and especially where you are a bit older you you will notice the niggles and you will notice it might take a few more days to get to get over these things
0: you're right
1: well one thing i will share with the listeners i did 20 press-ups yesterday afternoon it's killing me today chaps i'll tell you that much i've woken up (laughs) with arms are killing me so you know it, it must it must play its part um, Jason Malumbi. I'm just reading the, the News at Den story from Friday. I mean, uh, taken off at half-time. He was on a yellow card and um, Rowett replaced him with, um, I think it was Ben Thompson that came in for him in the second half to avoid the possibility of the um, second yellow and going down to 10 men. Um, I, I mean, he hasn't played his best since the return run, has he? I mean, he, one thing I do like about him, though, is he's 100% committed. I know he's a lone player, so he's not our our... Our player, but he, his mind doesn't work like that. He's, he's a Millwall player at the moment, and he'll give everything for the calls. Sometimes, you know, a little bit uh, gets a little bit hot-headed, but I think that's part and part of his game, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think you have to take that with Milombe. I think from the the second he walks into the door, you could see that with, uh, you know, his intent of asking to be loaned out and asking to to come to Millwall because it suited him. I think that. Uh, it speaks to the sort of player he is and he's the sort of player that the fans love it, in terms of that, that work ethic and that drive. And you see it all the time, him leading presses, charging out. Sometimes that can be to uh, his teammates' detriment in terms of holding shape and uh, you know, a little bit of ill-discipline. But you've, you've, you know, you've got to consider the fact that he's a, he's a young lad as well, um, playing his first full season. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's going to have to learn and he's playing at a really high level for such a young player. Who um yeah, he just needs to to learn, and I think it's good to have options now, I think with Woodson Williams as those senior players alongside him, Leonard back from injury, and obviously Ben Thompson back from injury, it gives rowwick the the choice to see mal as inju- um yellow card at half time he was going into a couple tackles and you know looked like he may have picked up a red if he'd if he'd have kept going, so Rowick has those options now just to bring someone else on, cool him down, obviously, we've got a lot of games coming um so it's good to keep him fresh. Also good to get Thompson on to get that fitness back up. And Thompson was, uh, was very good when he came on. Like uh, Raul said, kind of carried the ball out and drove well, getting on the ball and running at players like we are used to see Ben Thompson do. Yeah. So it's good to have both of those options um, who are you know, similar. Like they're similar in terms of the energy they bring, but different in terms of the, uh, the areas of the pitch they affect. But to have those options at this stage is um, it's just a positive for me all.
1: It's going to be an interesting starting eleven tomorrow, Michael, isn't it? I mean, it's a a weird game—a Wednesday afternoon, three o'clock kickoff against Middlesbrough Middlesbrough tomorrow, managed by by Neil Warnock at the moment. But it's going to be an interesting starting eleven tomorrow. I mean, are are you a? I mean, I've spoken to you about the Ryan Woods question. Are you a Ryan Woods fan? I know that Ryan is, but um, are you a a Woods fan, or you is the jury still out for you? on 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 the question.
3: Um I think I think to a point, um I am still getting a few splinters in my behind where I've been sitting on the <laughs> fence too much. Um I think I think there's an element that yes, certainly right at the beginning, the way he was uh, sort of spraying balls around and looking up and picking passes and what what did they call him when he first joined? Wasn't it like a like a ginger perlo or something like a that? Ginger well, yeah. be, wasn't it? So um <laughs> so you know when when you see that aspect of his game he is very, very good, and I mean that ball over the top, jed Wallace was absolutely yeah that was strong. a thing of Perfect, beauty perfectly weighted.
1: that was, was a breathtaking really, really well moment was not it yeah i agree mm, um, yeah
3: mm. you, you, you see moments like that and you think they 're very very good, but I do think to a point and i um I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not in harry's camp when it comes to his uh his opinion on Ryan <laughs> woods, but um I think um I can see what Harry means sometimes when you require that bit of urgency and perhaps a bit of one-touch passing or one-touch, you know, fast-paced football. If you're trailing a goal, perhaps Ryan Woods may not be the best option. Um, And I think that when you are, the games we've played recently, um, Derby especially, where we lost that, where where we are requiring a bit of oomph and a bit of action, uh, yeah, and you see someone who has a touch and look-up instead of, like, pinging a ball down the line, um, when you've got Ben Thompson on the bench, who is that bit more fiery character who likes to get a bit more in your face? I can see the frustration. However, as I said, you on the other side of the coin, I can see why at times he's a valuable, valuable uh, asset. But uh, but here, here's the ultimate question: Has, Did Conor Mahoney do enough to to warrant the start?
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? You are listening to Atal Noel. It's an interesting
1: question. I, like I said the other day, um, I want to, I want to like Conor Mahoney. I, I want to, I want him to be a decisive, um, you know, the, the kind of left wing talent. And I think we've mentioned before, Ryan, haven't we? I mean, he's he's, he's got the talent to unlock a defence, and that's a rare talent. We don't have many players like that. It, I think my mm. only, the only drawback with with Conor is the is the consistency. He, 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 he does it in fits and starts and we need it a lot more often and i dare say this is a conversation that gary rowe it has him on a regular basis would you start him tomorrow Ron?
2: yeah i think um i don't know it's an interesting one because i think i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised maybe to see um line up the same as they did against charlton maybe with um ben thompson starting in place of brian leonard maybe just for a bit more attacking threat where Mill were uh, getting to the edge of the box against Charlton and not quite um, getting it into the box or creating the chance. I think Ben Thompson, in that sort of when Mill were attacking with basically six players um, behind Smith at points, Thompson would be really good, like live wide to have in that position. Um, Borough are, you know, they're under Neil Warnock now. They're probably going to sit back. I'm just looking. Um, they just lost, you know, they've lost back to back against QPR and Hull yeah. since uh, Warnock took in. So they're not in the best place. Okay, they lost to Hull in the last minute, but. QPR dominated them in terms of the possession, so I think Borough had about 30 percent. So chances are they're going to be sitting off, especially as they're the away team. So you know, again, Woods in that hole dictating the play will work, I think, if um, Rowett wants to keep the same system. But then you have the aspect of it's a Neil Warnock side, so will lumping the ball up to Matt Smith be the most effective? Warnock is a you know that's his style; he'll, he'll probably be pretty adept at dealing with that. Yeah. Um, despite not having a lot of time with them, so it'll be interesting to see if he throws Mahoney straight back into it and goes maybe
1: back to starting with Bradshaw. But well, I was just going to say, start sure. Bradshaw over, over Smith. Yeah. I'm, with, I'm just looking at the league table. Middlesbrough actually, I, I hadn't realised, in the bottom three now, aren't they? And we've got Hull again on Saturday, yeah. bottom, uh, fall from bottom as as we speak, as we record this. Um, mm. I miss a big club, Middlesbrough. If they go down into League One. I know there are other big clubs already in that in that league. Sunderland, not, not the, you know the local rivals, but that's a big club. They will be fighting for their lives. You would expect tomorrow, so it could well be something of a of a battle. And you need to pick an eleven that are able to to match that because I think it's going to be it's going to be a hard fought game tomorrow.
3: I was going to say, how long is Warnock's
1: still at um, at? To the end of the season, I would have thought. Yeah, I think it's to the end of the season
2: for now. I'm sure they other have a. Uh... I imagine they'll have a, a relegation kind of clause if they stay up. Maybe he'll get an automatic extra year, or because um, I think he was he didn't he didn't want to wind down when he left Cardiff. I think he was pretty adamant that it wouldn't be his last job. So I think they'll, they'll, he'll probably get an extra year if they stay up, and then maybe look elsewhere if they go down.
1: For us, it's a it's a must win. I mean, I don't think there's anywhere for us to go other than to get three points, because then if we don't, I mean, it re- the season really has um, reached its conclusion for me and mm. uh, before 42 games done with just four to go um and with f- 5 points short of cardiff in sixth spot if we if we do have any any realistic um ambitions to chase that down it's got to be a win tomorrow or bust i don't know if you boys agree with that
2: yeah i think uh, yeah i 100% i think to be honest the five games left left i would say at least four out of those five if not all five are must win games for mill yeah if um playoffs are to be the aim because like you said, we've got we've got Barrow, we've got Hull, um, we've got Huddersfield, um, obviously on the last day as well. So we've got twentieth, twenty-first, and twenty-second as it stands. And okay, we'll have historically kind of struggled against the sides of the bottom, and obviously we drew against Barnsley despite putting in a, a decent performance. But we need to be getting three points because I was, you know, look at people's fixtures. Cardiff, obviously in the driving seat now, three points clear of Derby in seventh. They've got three of the same games as we do. They've got Blackburn still to play. They've got Borough and Hull to play. They've got Derby to play, which is going to be a a huge game. They've got Fulham to play, who are all out of sorts, but obviously that's that's not the easiest game. Um, The other teams around us, Derby have a really hard running. Um, Swansea don't have a, a massively difficult one. I think now you're looking maybe down to Preston. Preston are one point behind us, so they're six points off Cardiff. So, with their form, maybe they're out of it. So I think it has been down, it's now down to the four teams Cardiff, Derby, Swansea, and us. Mm. And I think that there's some decent teams there in some decent form. And they will all be looking to win their last five games. And it will be whoever has the best form in these five games will be um, in that sixth spot, I think. So building on a hard fought win against Cardiff has got to be Rowell's main priority. And uh, he'll be really disappointed with his side if they don't put in um, a performance. I think Millwall wanted to win this one by two goals, three goals, you know, really, they want a really comfortable one. They don't want to be edging out um, another one nil, I think.
1: Yeah. Cause the goal difference is actually quite tight. I mean, Cardiff's goal difference at the moment is, is plus seven. Then you've got Derby on three, Swansea and Millwall on four. So goal scored yeah. could well be, you know, a goal difference uh, could well be a factor, come a very tight finish. I agree. I think, I think it's is a must win. Um, I, one thing I did like about the game on Friday was it was it, it, come the the 80th minute it seemed to be drifting to a, a nil nil you could see nil nil written all over it and somehow yeah. you know that moment of brilliance from from Conor Mahoney to, to find the space and work the space to get the shot on target which the goalkeeper spills and to have the most unlikely figure of all in Jake Cooper to be in in the mix and finish I mean Bose that's the kind of incident moment um, fighting spirit that that wins three points when one was the you know the more obvious outcome. So the squad seem to want it as much as as much as we all do, and that's that's good to see too.
2: Yeah, what what I think will be interesting, and this may be one of the quirks that we see of kind of lockdown behind closed doors football is is kind of in the the gist of the piece I sent to Michael for the program that uh, the, the the Derby Day victory isn't the same without the fans there. No, and no, I just no. you know I was just thinking to myself, imagine the the scenes as they say, or just the reaction, the uproar to Jay Cooper's late like winner there. The away end.
1: The energy. Going absolutely
2: yeah. insane. The energy would be brilliant. Yeah. And that would be enough, you would hope, maybe, or to could be enough to just lift Millwall and that injects that momentum that they need. So you wonder how it will be different with the players. Hopefully the players get that. And obviously it's an important game for them. Hopefully that gives them the momentum. But you'd imagine with the fans there, following that up with a home game would just be the place to be buzzing and the anticipation is back and that excitement is back. So you really hope we all don't have that lacking really
1: tomorrow. I was interested, Michael. I mean, there was, there was a bit of a hoo-ha online about the, the flag, the MSC flag, not being allowed to be placed in the Charlton stadium. Um, and just going on from what we've just been talking about there with the lack of fans, the fact that there would have been a, a, a huge buzz after that, there would have been real momentum building fans, you know, uh, the energy and so on. I found it quite interesting how much um, spirit seemed to be lifted by the sight of that one flag on the tower block at the back of the, of the Charlton ground. There was a couple, some fans got a flag up there, didn't they? And the, the players seem to appreciate the connection. And you know, um, I know Charlton were playing silly games with us on on Friday night, but that sense of connection seems to be what players need in these last ditch moments of the season. You know, small things make big differences, don't they?
3: No, of course, of course, and we've. And we we've touched on a few times um as, as fans primarily, that's what we are. Um and also we've heard it in the media say that if there's one team who's gonna struggle without their fans, it, it is Millwall, um, because of what the fans bring. So no, I agree. And I, and I think it was it was excellent the the connection that Alex Pierce obviously showed yeah, that we've got yeah. when he went over when he went over and, and he, you know, applauded and punched the air and things like that. And you know, th- Mm. Millwall fans, people can have their opinion on them of, of, of who they are. I mean, even amongst our own fan base, we don't seem to like each other very much, which is all fine and well and good.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not too keen on but, you, to be honest with you, you know.
3: No, there you go, there you go. Um, That's but, but, for Ryan. Know, as for Ryan, yeah, we'll state that off air. Um, but it, we've, we've, we, we do have this... Connection um, as fans, one another, we, we all might look at each other and go, Oh, what's the on about? But he's still, he's still sort of one of us. I think it's be, be, because there's a real feeling on and off the pitch that I think sort of everyone's against us. You know, we, we don't get the decisions. Let's be honest, Matt Smith. No,
1: look at Friday night. He, you know.
3: he, 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 mm. he was getting beat up at some points nearly and he still wasn't getting a penalty. I, I, I remember a while back did, did he either post a picture or he changed his yeah, he uh wwe avatar. Clip, didn't he like, a, like yeah a yeah grip. exactly but but you think six months before that didn't he put an avatar up of one bloke half taking his shirt off and another one punching him in the face and he said no nope, still no penalty, no penalty. um no, a while yeah. back you know so so it happens and I, I i think that's what the understanding of fan base has got and this and this also goes back to club identity which which we said you know during lockdown when we did some uh, retrospective look backs we we are one of the very last old fashioned sort of uh working man working class club, yeah. and the the fans appreciate that we appreciate that, and it, it just seems to gel well together, so yeah, no, it was nice to see yeah. nice to see
2: it, it might be a small point, but um Alex Pierce kind of coming back into the team came in at the really right time for that game, I think. It was funny before the game, um, obviously, we're watching it from the stands. He came out um, applauding the empty, the empty stands for the warm up, running right over, cheering them. Obviously, the other players kind of having a laugh at him, and he did the exact same after the game. Um, as the final whistle went, went to the, the away end where the fans would be. And
3: oh, is it ice cream time.
1: Yeah, can you, uh, 99, or the hus- do they have any hustle? That is about that, that,
3: that, the loudest ice cream that? van <laughs> that I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. Mm. <laughs>
2: But no, so at the end of the game as well, he's gone to the um, the away away stand and applauded them. You can see all the other players kind of having a laugh at him. But then he noticed the flag and it, and all the players rushed over then. And it's just sort of thing that he, like him or loathe him, which I think he's, he is a divisive figure on the pitch, but he has built a real connection with the Millwall fans, I think. There's so many pictures of him celebrating post-match wins and things like that. He could be a really important player in terms of that, building that connection with the fans kind of, from afar you know i think his his leadership carries through and people see that and and do like that about alex pierce so he could be an important player for us in this little run. i think with his experience and with um with his passion i think he could be important
1: And just to repeat a point that you made when we spoke after the charlton game ryan um i was fascinated to hear the leadership on the on-field leadership of ryan woods you know which is not something that i think in a crowd in a crowded stadium is always apparent you know um, but you said he was really bark- barking out orders and giving directions and, you know, calling the shots, quarterback style, so to speak.
2: Yeah, it was surprising to see. And um I think a positive again. That's why if he can play in that similar role against Borough, I think um he will build on it and have a bit of confidence. And I think him and Ben Thompson and him and Jed Wallace could be players who build a really nice relationship.
1: So six massive points at stake, chaps. Um Three against Middlesbrough Wednesday for a kick kickoff. Which is an I follow only show. Um, so I hope you're tuned in. You've got your instructions and 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 you, you, you've got your, your your iPads set up and not attached to your TV like I tried to do. Um, and then again on Saturday we're we're um, we've got a whole city at home. So um, by the time we next record our next Millwall fan show, we'll be either six points to the good or uh, nursing, uh, you know, lesser. That's a total hangovers afterwards. I want to move us along, chaps, a little bit. We, uh, there's an ongoing um, scandal, um, cr- criminal possibly, depends on on some of the investigations that take place with Wigan, um, which is one of the strangest stories I think I've ever um, ever come across in football. Which is the possibility that Wigan Athletic have been deliberately uh, purchased and then deliberately taken into administration that's the allegation that's doing the rounds on the internet and and i think was repeated by um by rick parry the uh, the football league chairman that there's a, a far eastern betting ring that has um money riding on them being relegated um we mentioned this the other day uh, michael when i was speaking to you and i actually got an email from our lawyer james lawyer james um so i thought well, i might just take the chance to um um, to read it um, he says as, as his ears were burning he thought he'd answer Michael's question regarding Wigan um, the EFL regulations provide for an automatic 12-point deduction where an insolvency event administration occurs however this can be appealed on the grounds of force majeure which is I think that's what we're going to doing at the moment uh, force majeure the 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 regulations identify the following examples of force majeure which is where a club suffers a material adverse effect upon loss of anticipated income or where the insolvency event is caused by the default of another club, i.e. someone not paying a transfer fee. Um, Given that Wigan appears to have gone into administration because the new owner has refused to put the club in funds or who knows what else now, what's coming out bit by bit, um, rather than a loss of income stream due to COVID-19, it seems to me to james that the exception is unlikely to apply so he doesn't he doesn't fancy um Wigan's chances on the grounds up to up, up to now obviously i would imagine that would change if evidence and it would need to be pretty strong evidence because i don't think there is any at the moment of anything more underhand is is out there um he says for what it's worth uh he thinks the efl should amend its regulation so that a club gets an automatic point deduction points deduction if a sale is completed before the directors and owners test is passed and proof of funds have been provided and that will disincentivize that's a good word, disincentivize takeovers from happening without meeting EFL requirements. However, James concludes saying you can't legislate for a dodgy owner going rogue after they've purchased a, a club and he says he'll bore off now. That's not boring. I, I find that quite interesting, James. So Thank you for sending that. So basically if if this Wigan story is as um, as dark as it, as it seems to be, you know, alleged on online, then that, that's a, that's a, that's an event way outside football league regulation. I don't think there's any any provision for someone deliberately crashing their own car. Almost, you know, um, it's going to be an interesting story. I don't know if you boys have followed it, but it's it, it's <laughs> it's got a lot of I'm, I'm, a I'm lot sorry, of elements in so, it. There's,
3: there's got to be something there, surely. I mean, because thank you James for emailing in or, or messaging in. That's, that's, that's really helpful honestly. Cause you know, I was sitting there scratching my head a bit, but if, if in theory that's the case, the EFL can literally just then hold their hands up every time anything ever goes wrong and then goes, nothing to do with us. Then in theory, you, all you could get is uh, uh, that, all right, let's that, just assume it's happening like, or that, that this, this betting thing is, is going Ooh. on. Hypothetically, then anyone can do it and get away with it under EFL laws. Maybe not under the le- maybe not under sort of legality when it comes to nation by nation. But what's to stop anyone then buying a football club, purposely bankrupting it, and then putting a massive wedge on them getting relegated six months before?
2: So I think the, the from what I've seen of it, a lot of people are distancing themselves when they've been talking about it from this whole the betting. A scandal kind of conspiracy theory which you know may well prove to be true or have something in it and um you know i think i think people are maybe distancing evidence. themselves purely evidence. from a legal standpoint well evidence exactly. would be
1: very hard to come by to prove that i mean if, if there has been such a, a bet placed and it's in a, a jurisdiction in the in the far east somewhere philippines i think i read um, mm. There's not going to be an awful lot of evidence, you know. You, you'd need the um, no. you'd need the betting slip, <laughs>
2: <laughs> which wouldn't exactly. Exist. So the problem, the problem for the EFL, the problem that they have is like I said, like I said, there's not nothing really to stop someone coming in and doing this. But I mean, if someone comes into a club and proves they have money and proves that they have, um, you know, the, the the backing to fund a club, and then. Like you, like you said, Nick, it's like deliberately crashing a brand new sports car, it's it's, it's Absolutely, you yeah. cannot legislate for um, complete incompetence, not even incompetence, but complete just it's just an unpredictable behaviour. So I think the, the the one thing that the EFL could do would be to introduce um, a, basically a deposit, a like bond sort of thing. So if someone comes in and buys a club, they have to not just prove that they have money, but they have to give X amount of money to the league or to the club and that money is there throughout their ownership as like a rainy day fund and as proof that they are committed. But obviously as it's a members club, owners will be the ones who have to vote that through and owners would be the ones who wouldn't really be keen on doing that. Same with stricter background checks. Owners would have to vote that through. And again, they wouldn't want to vote on doing that as well. So the, I think Wigan's best course of action that I've heard they're going to probably take is, um, Taking basically hoping there's a criminal investigation here because I know that the Al Young, uh, the owner, who is supposedly the director of Wigan, mm. no one has met him, spoken to him or knows what he looks like and so there are suggestions that maybe he is a shell. Um, so I think Wigan's best course of action will put to be to appeal the decision on the grounds that there is some sort of criminal activity um, and hopefully that appeal lasts until the end of the season at which point they can sell some players or find a new buyer and um, kind of save themselves before any points deduction has to come in place. I'm sure the EFL will treat this as a special case. I think, I think the 12 point deduction will be, you know, if it has to be enforced, it has to be enforced. But I think they, they are treating this kind of with a wary look at the moment of they have to treat this one carefully because this is um, completely, in a time of unprecedented circumstances, this is completely unprecedented and uh, very unusual so it's it's a tricky one and I think the positive thing for Wigan fans is that their club is is safe I think it's not going to I don't think it's in much danger of liquidation I think they've got three or four potential buyers who are genuine and positive they own their ground they have a lot of good players who will be worth a lot of money I know Anthony Robinson the left back I think AC Milan were interested in him few clubs interested in Kiefer Moore. They have a few young players who are interested. So they're not in dire position where they're gonna to have to lose a load of players for um, an absolute pittance and you know get um, into the liquidate liquidation stage. So I think they'll be okay. It's just a really bad situation.
3: I mean I'm 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 not um privy enough to the information that's solely into the fit and proper person um Procedure when it comes to buying football clubs, etc. But like when you go to a bank and you have a business plan and say, This is where I intend to be here, this is where I tend to be here, this is where I tend to be here. Um surely there's got to be something that the EFL must make these people sign that ensures that when you buy a football club, you will never be in a possibility, or you shouldn't even be allowed to be in a situation within one month, you are able, you ha- you have to find a new buyer or you have to find some point no, yeah i'm, I'm, I'm so, sure so isn't, isn't it isn't it isn't it the bundesliga or there's a european league don't they have to sort of prove when they cuz with the whole becoming a member of the of the league and the fa you have to sort of like sort of do apply to be in the league even though you'll be approved it, it's all very much a members thing and it's to do with applications please sir, can mm. i be in your league etc and if i'm if i'm not mistaken that's us say get voting power um, yeah, however yeah. i think I think with the Bundesliga, they actually take that literal. So if, for example, let's say it's the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich do the whole, we want to be a member of your league, the Bundesliga will go, well, let me see your paperwork to prove that within three years you won't go bust. That's why the Bundesliga doesn't have to charge that much in-season ticket. It, mm. it might not be there, it could be so, another league, but so you see what I'm the, trying to say? The
2: Bundesliga, the, yeah, I know, of course, the Bundesliga particularly has the, their ownership structure is a lot different anyway, because they have the like the 50 plus one rule. So it, mm. all their clubs are fan-owned, apart from um, Hoffenheim, the, the traditional um, corporate ones, so Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen, obviously company-owned, um, mm-hmm. Le- Leipzig as well. But they normally they are special exceptions where I think the person who, who put the money into Hoffenheim was a lifelong fan. And basically he, he met a number of – yeah, you have to show that you are basically committed to the club and have been committed to the club to put money in. So most clubs in Germany, 80% of them or whatever, probably higher than that, don't have that structure that we have in England. The thing with the um, the, the fit and proper persons test is, it says it's the owner's and director's test. It's not been called the fit and proper persons test for a long time and that's what I think misleads people. So the test is pretty much just, do you have a criminal conviction? Do you have, are you on a sex offenders register? Do you have proof of funds? Um, have you been barred as a director of any other companies? And it's pretty much just a, te- uh, like a tick box exercise that the lawyers go through. And if you pass all of those things, then you are fine to be an owner and director. They the thing the EFL is the same. They don't have a what is your statement of intent? Like you say, like going to a bank with a business plan, they don't have that aspect of it. They don't say, right, what is your plan for this club? And that was a big discussion when obviously in the summer with Berry and Bolton, people were kind of calling for the EFL to maybe take things in-house a bit more, the running of clubs in terms of how people have to say how they are going to run their clubs. And again, the problem with that is that it's the people who currently own the clubs who have to vote for that. And if, especially in the championship, which is massively unsustainable, if they don't have a necessarily clear thought-out plan, that would mean them having to sell their football clubs. And it also means football clubs become a lot less attractive things to buy. So if they're in a rock and a hard place, the EFL, it needs reform, it needs something done about it. But the way the organisation is set up at the moment, and I guess the money that's in the game, it disincentivises, to use an new favourite word, and uh, makes it hard to do so.
3: You're listening
1: to Act suppose yeah. if it were your intention to deliberately, if it were your intention to deliberately crash your own car, you probably wouldn't be best advised to tell the football league beforehand that that's what you're going to do so do, any, any anyone exactly. set on that kind of if if i mean this there's, there's, i don't know what evidence i've I got a sense there's zero evidence and may always be zero evidence but um you probably um you know set up against something so so um so deliberate for whatever reason then it's mm. very hard to um to legislate for it's going to be an interesting yeah. storyline that unfolds um, day by day, week by week, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And it, one. it puts in perspective
2: again, Nick, as well. I know we've touched on it a lot, a lot of late, but a lot across um, Millwall's own situation. I think it puts into perspective a lot when you see everything else happening and what Absolutely. Happen, The worst, I think, with John Berrelson as an owner, we we have um, we have such a strong foundation. He's like I know you said um, on was it on the last band show when you were talking about like the local. Owners who used to own yeah. football clubs, so John Barlowson has that feel to him, even though he's really got no right being interested in Mill or no reason to being a you know from Boston, America, yeah. with a, maybe just a passing interest in football when he came in. Um, the commitment he's shown and the business savvy as well, which can frustrate at times um, in terms of the money we're putting out. But you look at other teams in the championship and how big losses they're running at. Mill, I think, are still running at a small loss, but nowhere near anyone else and uh it's it's healthy and it's positive for the future. I know we're we're thinking about an expanded stadium and yeah. it it really does kind of cheer you up as a Millwall fan to to know that we're in safe hands as it is.
1: There's a line in the uh the Stanley Kubrick film Full Metal Jacket and that is that it's better being alive is better than being dead. And I think that's the way you've got to look at your football listeners that um, sometimes it might be that you know, we seem a little unambitious, but um, if ambition leads you to the, the dark side, well, you're better off with, um, you know, a, a mi- middle for diddle table season. So yeah, I'd make you right, Ryan, I think. You know, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Um, we are we are very fortunate in that way. I'm going to close the show out. Now we had an email from one of our listeners, Mike Bisica. Um, thank you for the email, Mike. Um, praising our podcast format for the show. He, he liked the fact that we um, had various uh, voicemails in from the chaps to give their voices, um, which I quite liked too, actually. I don't know if you boys enjoyed that as a as a format. It's nice to get everyone's views in post-match, and you can't do it for too long, but a little 60-second post-match comment after the game. Mike enjoyed it. Mike basically enjoyed it. I hope you listeners enjoyed it, and I think the boys enjoyed it too. Um, so we're going to continue... With that on for the future, um, I, th- I think it worked quite well, personally.
3: Mm. I, um, I, I personally left myself out of that, that week's one. I, I saw myself a bit like Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society, mm. when, all of, when all of his students are up on the table, <laughs> and he walks away proudly. I heard the voice notes, and I thought, I can't top that, so I'll just walk away. Uh, yeah, I think as well, it's it's
2: unfair sometimes to expect the listeners to go two or three weeks without uh, without Harry Warren's special <laughs> rant. So uh, I think giving them the opportunity, especially with the games coming thick and th- fast, I think after a few months without him, I think it's it's good to have him back with a bang.
1: I had to I had to, I had to edit Harry's one because half of it was um <clears throat> was muffled. I don't know what he was doing. It must it must have been so much venting so much spleen into his phone he's probably speaking to the wrong end of it and huh? you couldn't hear half of it something like a muffled <laughs> a muffled wail, crying at the crying at the moon like a like a like a midnight wolf or something you know but no we'll, we'll carry on that do do let us know your views do do email us listeners do call us voicemail us we want to hear from you O two o eight one four four o two three two. i will not answer the phone to you don't have to speak to me you can just leave a message on. It's like an answer phone. That's all it is. So do let us know what you think to the shows. Um, it's great to hear from you. And if you have any comment on any of the, uh, any of the chapter, I love to read. I love to read Venom and Spite. If you want to put anything into in about anyone, then we'll share it amongst us and <laughs> laugh, at the, laugh at each other. Um, it's, it's great to hear from you. Um, we're going to close out there, boys. We're going to go for some score predictions because we've got two games to face this week. We've got Middlesbrough, On Wednesday, and then Hull City on Saturday. So we're looking for score predictions, Michael, for Middlesbrough tomorrow, Michael.
3: Oh, I will go for uh, Mill 2, Middlesbrough 0.
1: And for Hull City on Saturday?
3: Mill 1, Hull City
1: 0. So you're going for the six pointers. I like that kind of optimism. Ryan Loftus, Middlesbrough, and then Hull City, please, sir.
2: I'm gonna match Michael's enthusiasm and go one more. I think I'm gonna go two nil Middlesbrough tomorrow, and uh, I think three nil. Three nil. We're gonna we're gonna be back with a bang and. Uh, Gunning for sixth spot with
1: we're, intent. We're going to batter them on Saturday for Ryan. I like that. I, I do like that. I, I, I fancy us to get six points. I know this is bold talk, and I don't think I've ever predicted us to lose. So, take this this particular old Moore's Almanac, Mystic Meg, for, with a big pinch of salt. This is, I'm going to go for two, two wins. I think we'll narrow wins. So let's go for a 1 0 tomorrow, and let's go for a, a, a Another one nil on Saturday. I think we'll win it narrowly both times, but we will win it. So fingers crossed, rabbit's foot in hand. Um, check out my interview, listeners, with Phil Walker, hero and star of the 1975-76 promotion-winning season. It's a great interview. It's released this morning. You're, 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 it'll be the the edition just behind this one. So have a listen to that. I think it's well worth listening to. I want to say a big thank you to both Ryan and Michael for taking time out of their day today. Thank you, boys.
3: Thank you. you know, I went for Ryan. Yeah, I was going to say I went for Ryan to do the well done. Yeah, thank. You. So, yeah, but no, no problem, mate.
1: It, it, it's, it's too much English politeness flying around here. Um, big thank you to both of the chaps. Thank you to you for listening, dear listeners, and that's it. Bye for now.
3: Thank you for listening to Acton Moorwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave
0: us a cheeky little review. Over the dirt, you Till next time.